following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
she's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the Lord, bend my heart. Lord, that's our cry tonight. Bend my heart, O God. Rend the heavens and come down once again as in days of old. Bend my heart, O God. By the blood and in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All of Israel had been summoned to the Mount Carmel. They had gathered to see a contest between the Baal God, the God of prosperity, and the God of Israel. All day they have watched as the priests of Baal have slashed themselves. Blood is flowing. And there has been no response from the prosperity God, the God of fire. And now it's time for the evening sacrifice. Elijah comes forward and he rebuilds the altar with 12 stones. One for each of the tribes, not recognizing the division because God didn't recognize it. In God's eyes, they were all his people. He has water poured over it until it's utterly drenched. And then very quietly, I think you could have heard 
a pin drop. This simple prayer found in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, verse 36. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. Revival had come. The fire of God had fallen. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, you would have thought at this point that he would have had a prayer line form and he would have begun to pray over people and have them fall out. No, that's 20th century America. That's not what he did. Instead, he moved right to the heart of the issue. He said, if you're going to serve the Lord, capture these prophets of Baal, take them down to the valley and execute them. You see, we're people who love the spitting and the shouting. That's not revival. We love the manifestations. That's not revival. Revival is taking the priests of Baal down to the valley and putting them to death. That's revival. We know revival has come when the police chiefs come and say, I don't know what you're doing here, but our jails are now empty. We no longer have people out getting drunk. We no longer have gangs fighting. Something has happened here. Revival. You see, until there's a change in our behavior, there is no revival. Revival is not coming and feeling good about singing praise. Revival is not about being inspired and and joyful of heart. Revival is when I go home and put away my wickedness. Revival is when I take my television and throw it out and say, I won't have that dirty thing in my house speaking filth to my family. That's revival. If you get the Baal priests out, God will come in. So tonight I want to be very clear. The kind of revival that we're praying for, for Washington, D.C., is not a show here. The kind of revival we're crying out for is men and women, you all, who will go home afterwards and say, let's get our hearts right with Jesus. Let's clean up the house. Let's throw out the junk. Let's be washed. Let's be clean in the blood. Let's treat with kindness our husband and our wife, our children. Let's begin to make restitution for where we have wronged them. Let's repent of the wickedness and turn aside and no longer walk in it. Now we've got revival beginning to spring forth in the house of God. Oh, it'd be a lot more fun, wouldn't it, to have crowds and crowds of people coming and everybody excited and man there's a show going on at the national prayer chapel 
I'm here to tell you tonight, I don't want that. I would rather have a handful of people sold out to be holy before God where there's no show. Now that's a place the Holy Spirit can begin to work. So I have to be bold tonight and ask you, do you have restitution to make? Is there war between you and a brother? Have you made peace? Is there bitterness in your heart towards someone? Have you gone to that person and repented? Or if the offense is on their side, it says, if your brother has something against you, go to them, leave your offering and go see your brother. Are you at peace with all men or is there pride and arrogance in your heart? Is there hardness in your heart? If there is, tonight's time for revival to start. And it doesn't start with tinglys going up and down your spine. It starts with a clear understanding in your heart that the Lord, he is God. It results in a crying out to God, bend me, O God, bend me to your will, O God. You know, all of us are bent with the sin that has come into our hearts. We're bent toward darkness. It's a natural flow. I don't even have to try to be arrogant. It just comes naturally to me. I don't have to try to work up some anger when somebody cuts me off on 95. You know, it just springs up unbidden. You know, it's strange, but my heart does not naturally say, Lord, bless that person and keep them safe as I back off. No, I've got to cry, Lord God, bend me. Because if I were walking with Jesus and that person went rolling by, I'd ease off on the accelerator and I pray God's love and protection for them. When that person in the grocery store hits me from behind, on the back of my heels, my natural inclination is to turn and give them a very severe look. I mean, do they know who they just hit? Well, I can tell you who they just hit. They hit a servant of the Most High God. Does that come naturally to me? No, none of these things come naturally to any of us. That's why God has to bend us. So that what flows out of us is the spirit of Jesus Christ instead of the spirit of Antichrist. Now we see that Elijah begins immediately to test the effectiveness of the revival that God has just brought to them with his fire. He says to Ahab, why don't you go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. He was testing him to see what was in his heart. If he believed the word of God, he would have immediately loaded up and headed back as fast as he could get back to the palace because there was rain coming. He didn't believe there was any rain coming. So he had a picnic. 
Now, he could have even done something which would have been much more powerful. He could have said to Elijah, Elijah, I don't see any rain clouds. Could I join you in your prayer closet? And could we pray for God to send the rain? He had that option. But he revealed the inner depths of his heart. You see, what we do reveals the inner heart. Is the inner heart to go about our business. Okay, we've seen the fire of God. Thank you very much. That was a great show. Now let's have a picnic. Or is our heart to say, I've seen just enough of the fire of God to know that I better get in the prayer closet because I need now the rain. I need the falling of the rain. The land is barren. There is nothing growing. Everything has died because of the drought that is upon us. Have you ever seen a nation more in drought than America? We're in such a moral drought. We are in such a drought of righteousness. We are in an utter drought where men and women are dying even while they think they're worshiping the Lord God Almighty. Never has there been a time in America's history when the churches have been more full of people or more prosperous. Never has there been a time in America when the pastors have been better educated with more advanced degrees than today. And yet with all of the degrees and all of the seminars and workshops, with all of the entertainment, with, with all of the money flowing, with all of the beautiful buildings, with all the mega churches, we're in a desperate spiritual drought. No longer do arrows of conviction pierce the hearts of the American church. Instead, they're salved and soothed with lies about how to gain strategies for success. Now the question comes, what is our heart? Is our heart to join Elijah in the prayer closet? You recognize Elijah is alive today. The Lord God took him up in a chariot. It wouldn't surprise me if he took him up in that chariot to give him his own full-time prayer closet. Here's a man who knew how to go into the presence of God and touch the throne of God for revival. All revival springs out of the prayer closet. It doesn't spring out of preaching. It doesn't spring out of programming. It doesn't spring up out of the strategies of man. It comes up out of the prayer closet. Revival for you will come up out of the prayer closet. It may not be your prayer closet. Someone else may be praying for you. When revival comes to America, as surely it will, 
God will raise up a standard of righteousness in this land before it is judgment unto damnation. He is a God of mercy. He's a God of kindness. He will not wipe out a people without lifting up a standard of righteousness. The prayers he's going to answer are the prayers that have been prayed for many years, even from heaven. Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit is interceding with groans for us, that God would bend us. He goes off to eat and drink. Elijah, on the other hand, climbs up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bends down to the ground and he puts his face between his knees. Wouldn't it have been more appropriate had he gone out to the edge, looked out over the sea, raised his hand, and said, I command you, waters come forth from the skies. Boom, crash, here it comes. Oh, we want such flesh-pleasing stuff. No, water was not going to come by some man demanding. No, he got down on his face, put his face down on the ground, humbled his heart before Almighty God. This righteous man, this man who had prayed of like passions as we are, who had prayed that the rain would stop and the Lord God of heaven stopped it. And now, humble of heart, he goes and prostrates himself before God and begins to plead for the deliverance of the judgment he had prayed in on these people. And God heard his prayer. But it took seven times to check on it. Seven times he sent his servant Go out and see. Please, people ask me all the time, how do you know if God is speaking? Well, you can tell if it's God speaking, if God's speaking. Is that logical? It's amazing to me the number of people who say, I can't hear God. Well, the reason you can't hear God is he's not talking. You can't hear God when he's not talking. If you want to hear God talk, you're going to have to do what Elijah did. You're going to have to get down on your face and spend whatever time is necessary asking in a humble way before God that he would hear the cry of your spirit. Now you may think, well, why didn't God just tell Elijah, you can stop praying, it's taken care of? I can't answer that question except to tell you that my experience with God is that he has a special affection for keeping us on our faces before him. 
He seems to know that we are naturally bent to arrogance. That we're naturally bent to having our way. It's very hard to have my way when I'm on my face. I mean, it's much easier to have my way when I'm standing up and looking stern and saying, it will be done my way. Oh, no, you can't do that when you're laying down and you're speaking into the dirt. Try being arrogant when you lay on your face before God. It just doesn't work. If you do it, you'll soon get up in disgust and say, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm out of here. Elijah seven times sent his servant to go find out if there was a physical manifestation of what he was praying for in the prayer closet. Now, please, a very simple, simple principle. I pray for one reason. To have my prayer answered. I don't pray for meditation. I don't pray to be comforted. It's not a humanistic exercise that I engage in that makes me feel better. I pray because there's someone listening who has the power to change my circumstances. I pray because there is a king of kings and a lord of lords who has regard for a man or woman, a boy or girl, who's willing to lay down on their faces before him and plead for deliverance. That God will answer. Now here's where the Lord has been doing a deeper work in my heart this week. Very painful work. When I was much younger, I said to myself, you know what? Someday I'd like to own a restaurant. Always wanted to own a restaurant. I was raised cooking and baking, earned my way through high school, baking in a commercial bakery. Both of my brothers and my sister-in-law were dietitians. Food's always been a very important part of my life. I'd love to own a restaurant. I once ran a coffee shop down in Georgetown as a ministry. Here's the problem. Every time it came to a point where I had to make the decision about whether I was going to open the restaurant, God said no. Well, you know... I've always wanted to own my own powerboat. I've always wanted to spend Saturdays out on the water. You know, take the church kids skiing, take families out. Always wanted to own a boat, you know, and the and the SUV to pull it. <laughs> you know, every time I came to a place where that was possible, and I had to make a decision. The Lord said, go this way. 
I wanted to go that way. He said, go this way. Is it wrong to own a boat? No. Is it wrong to have a restaurant? No. Maybe some of you need to open one. Then I could come to it. <laughs> you know, is it, is it wrong to want to enjoy water skiing with the children? No. God just said no. I've always wanted to take the train and go to the West Coast and back. I've always wanted to go to Israel. And you know what? If I found enough people who would pay their way and go to Israel with me, we could go free. And every time I began to think about that and, and say, how could I pull that off? The Lord said, no. Now I'm going to be foolish, but I'm going to be honest. I always wanted to own a Corvette. The Lord said, no. I always wanted to own my own home. The Lord said, no. Now, he's not going to say no to you on all of this. He said no to me. Now, let me boil it all down. What I'm trying to say to you is, I've had things in my heart that all of my life I've wanted. Places I've wanted to go. Things I've wanted to do. Travel Europe. Go to all the national parks in America scuba dive, I mean, all the things I've wanted to do. And now I've come to a point in my life where I saw this, I saw this ad. I love to blue water sail. It was a magazine, and on the cover it said, all the place you want to sail to before you die. <laughs> What the Lord's been doing in my heart this week is taking me even deeper in recognizing that there are many good things that I'm not going to ever share in. Because there's not time to share in all those good things and do the direct will of God. And so that means I'm having to make choices now finally at 60 plus years and say, I can't say anymore, someday I will. I either do it now or I'm never going to do it. And now I have to decide what is it I really want? Well, I've already decided, and at every point, as those issues have come to me, I've made a decision to go to heaven. It was modeled for me when I was a child. We drove by all these beautiful homes, and I would say to my dad, Daddy, why can't we have a home like that? Why do we have to live in the little country Inselbrook house? The tiny little Five in our family and 
about 950 square feet home. Why do we have to live in that little place, Daddy? He'd very kindly, with no anger, he would say, Raymond, because we have a home on the other side. And we're investing in it. I'd say, but Daddy, can't we have both? And he would answer, some may, we cannot. And I'd say, but why, Daddy? And he would say, because the Lord has told us to give 50% of our income to the work of the Lord. And we can't pay 50% of our income to the work of the Lord and have the house that you want. So, Raymond, would you like us to stop that? Would you like us to stop supporting missionaries? Would you like us to stop helping the gospel of Jesus and live in a house here? Or would you rather help the missionaries now and have the house later? (laughs) And with a bit of grudge in my heart, I answered, I'd rather have it later. But in my heart, I was saying, why can't I have it both ways? As I've grown up, I've begun to understand that I've had to make those same choices. I'm not saying it's wrong to own a home. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a boat. I'm not saying it's wrong to go to Israel. If the Lord gives me any of those things, I'll say thank you to him. But he is saying to my heart, would you be very clear with me, Ray? That you're not looking forward to the future when you can have such and such. Or when you can be such and such. Because I've asked you if you will belong to me. Will you be a part of my bride? Will you be sold out for me? Or do you have to have the world too? You can't have both. The amount of saltiness you have in your life is in direct proportion to how much world you've mixed in with the gospel. And the more world you mix in with the gospel, the less salty you are. And the more clean you are before the Spirit in walking in humble obedience to his commands, and receiving only from his hand what he chooses to give you, the more salty you will be in the world. And the Lord is looking for a people who will be salty. Remember the saying of Jesus, that a man who loses his salt, is not even good for manure. He's just thrown out on the on the street where everybody walks on because he's he's worthless. Well, there's a journey that Jesus has asked us to make from being worthless to being salty. It's an organic process. 
It's a process of understanding that my future belongs in the hand of Jesus. I'm not going to say, if only I could, let's see what scheme can I bring up in order to accomplish the car I want or the house I want or the whatever it is I want, but instead saying, oh, Jesus, I want what you're willing and want to give me, and I will receive from your hand whatever that is, and I'll praise your name and I'll worship you because I have no longer any ambition in my heart that is connected to this world. I have only an ambition for your heart, Jesus. I have to share with you that as the Lord has been bringing me more deeply into this, issues have arisen in my heart that say, you've worked this many years and this is what you have. You've worked this many years and this is all the further you've gotten in walking out the gospel. And I just very bluntly say, Satan, get thou behind me. I will not hear you because I'm not looking for success or accomplishment in this world. I'm looking for a heavenly kingdom. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. He is my heart's desire. Now, have you dealt with these issues in your heart? Or do you still have a burning in your heart for the things of the world? That burning in your heart for the things of the world, if you're not very careful, will start a fire that will consume you for eternity. We have to become a people sold out who will kill our Baal idols and our Baal priests. We'll do away with them and not allow them to seduce us any longer into the consumption of the American lifestyle. When I was a kid growing up, consumption was considered a terminal disease. Today it's considered a successful way of life. I want to tell you, it's still a terminal disease. I don't have a message for you about dream your dream. And now let's work out a strategy to help you accomplish. Instead, I have an invitation to die out to that dream. And to get honest with Jesus about where you want to spend eternity. And turn aside from all of this American Psychology that has been foisted upon us as the truth. And turn back and seek the heart of Jesus. To cry out after him. To hunger after him. To seek him with all of our heart. Because we need the rain. We need revival in America. And if we won't pray, who will pray? And the rain does not come. 
by dreaming about replacing Ahab and becoming king. The rain does not come by strategizing an overthrow so I can get mine. Young people, if you have any dream in your heart, let it be Jesus. Let it be going to heaven. Let it be serving the master. Don't dream about being a fire engine driver or a a computer scientist or a rocket scientist. Dream about serving Jesus Christ, belonging to him, following him, honoring him. Those of you who are starting to get gray on your head, let the gray on your head be the hairs of wisdom. Let the gray be the hairs on your head where you finally have recognized the utter foolishness of seeking after anything in the world and seek after Jesus Christ. The sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. Elijah says, hitch up your chariots. Go down before the rain stops you. Oh, now. Now Ahab believed that rain was going to fall. But he had no share in the prayer closet. So now for Ahab, the rain is something to escape from. Is revival something you're trying to escape from? The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. Tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I've never understood why he did that. And I thought maybe it was because God wanted to demonstrate one more time the power and authority he could put in a man. But Ahab had no interest in running fast. He had horses to run. So what was it that prompted? I don't know, but I want to offer a suggestion. I think he wanted to go to the seat of power. And he wanted to hear the first tidings out of the palace about what Jezebel was going to do. I think Elijah still in his heart desired and cried out to the Lord that Israel would turn back to the living God of heaven. I think he was so filled with the power of God that he could run ahead of the chariot because revival had come. The next morning, he got word. Jezebel sent the message, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This was the most discouraging word that had ever come to Elijah. Why? Because it was the word that God's people 
had rejected the fire of God that had fallen. Then they had rejected the rain that had fallen. And they were determined under this wicked woman's leadership to continue the worship of their Baal gods. Tonight I ask you, are you willing to deal with your Baal gods? Are you willing to deal with your desires for success and recognition? Are you willing to deal with your desires to do those things in your life that you've always wanted to do? Are you willing to put away all of the human flesh and simply seek after Jesus Christ? Are you willing to put away your animosity toward your family? Are you willing to forgive your brother or your sister, your husband or your wife? Are you willing to walk humbly before God with your face down to the ground, pleading for the reign of God to fall? Are you willing to let go of your agenda, your program, your survival? And are you willing to intercede for God's people in America? Are you willing to cry out until the rain comes? Bend us, almighty God. Bend us away from the Baal gods and bend us toward heaven. Let us be consumed, almighty God, by the fire of your presence. Let us no longer be consumed with the passion of our defense or the passion of our desires. Lord, let us be consumed by your fire. Thank you, Jesus. Let your glory be seen amongst us. Let your power be evident among us by the way we pray. I pray in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
Yes, why? 
blessing by faith I've received from above. Oh, glory, my soul is made perfect in love. My prayer has prevailed, and this moment I know the blood is applied. I am whiter. Is a